Hello, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nyasha Musa Grace. I'm Nyasha and this week I'm joined by a very special guest. Um, my guest today is a consultant trichologist, the one with the name with the, the letters behind her name. Um, her name is Eleanor and she is going to explain to us what the letters behind her name mean and we are going to be having a very interesting discussion to do with hair hair transplants i think all things hair so eleanor welcome to the program thank you so much for having me nyasha um so i mean for those that don't know what a trichologist is what, what they do um we basically look at hair and scalp disorders diagnose them give options for treatments or what discuss what the options are out there mm -hmm. and then um we can offer also products mm -hmm. or um, a future prognosis of what, what's going on with the hair and scalp health. Right. Um, for me, so the, the letters after the my letters, name. Yeah. <laughs> no, because not every trichologist it's true. No, it's has, very true. you know, not everybody who studied trichologists. So I don't have the letters yet. Yeah. I'm aspiring to the letters. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But I haven't got the letters yet. yet. So tell them how you got the letters and why that matters. Of course. So uh, the letters I've got are MIT, mm -hmm. um, and that stands for the member of the Institute of Trichologists. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Institute of Trichologists is the uh, sort of the educational um, centre where I learned trichology. Mm -hmm. uh, when you pass your two years of, of education, you get the letters AIT, which is your mm -hmm. associate mm -hmm. of the Institute of Trichologists. And then following what I did, it was two further years of mentorship. So that's mm -hmm. being in clinical practice, regularly sending in case history cards of your patients, making sure that they're correct, that they're being diagnosed correctly. You have effective clinical training, mm -hmm. essentially. And then you're basically elected by the board to be a member of the Institute. So, yeah. Brilliant. Well done, you. Thank Explain you. to our listeners why this was an important step for you. Um, so for me, you know, it could have been easy to finish at sort of associate level, mm -hmm. um, particularly as I work with my mother. So we, we work within our family clinical practice here in Fulham, mm -hmm. Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic. And, you know, I have exposure to clinical experience. I yeah. have exposure to a lot of patients. I'm not worrying about you know, business coming in, but it's about making sure that you have really efficient and effective diagnosing skills. So that's making sure that in the many ways that one condition can present, yeah. that you're still figuring it out and calling it the right thing yeah. and that you're treating it in the best possible way. Um, and so that's done with uh, an independent mentor. So mm -hmm. not someone that's not connected to me, but as mm -hmm. part of the Institute, um, and it was really important just to also build up confidence mm -hmm. coming into the industry as a new trichologist. Yeah. It, you're going to experience conditions that maybe you see once every five years. Yeah. And how do you recognize those? So being able to work with a mentor and make sure that, yes, what I've, what I've recognized, what I've um, observed here is what I think it is, yeah. is so important. We're not, you know, no one goes into the industry thinking, that they have all the knowledge and, no. that, and that they can be as effective as possible from the get-go. Mm. So having that that two years, that extra two years is really, I think, really important mm. in terms of making sure clinically you're trustworthy and you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing the right thing. Good, fantastic. So then talk to us about, 
about hair. Talk to us about how do we know, how will our listeners know my hair is healthy, my hair is not healthy. What is healthy hair? What's unhealthy hair? You know what? It's such a, a hard thing to say because um, just because you know people's hair varies so much. Mm-hmm. So what is healthy for one person may feel unhealthy for another person, right? Mm-hmm. But mainly what you're looking out for is major changes in your hair, mm-hmm. okay? Any thinning, any shedding, or any sphere breakage mm-hmm. from a hair perspective. Then when we look at the scalp, we're thinking of any itching that's mm-hmm. unnecessary, any tenderness, or any flaking, or any pustules that, you know, really shouldn't be on the scalp. If you are concerned, it, the temptation is always to just leave it for a bit and hope that it resolves itself. Yeah. Sometimes it might, but more often than not, it won't because fundamentally there's an, there's an illness, there's a health concern mm. that needs to be addressed. So if you are concerned, definitely get in touch with a trichologist. Um, you know, if you've raised it with your stylist or whoever you're going to see regularly to care for your hair, I'm hoping that they will be referring on to a trichologist as well. Um, <laughs> I think, okay, um, I'm just going to put this in here Yeah. Um, because I like to, you know, let's be honest. Um, I, until I wanted to study more about hair for myself, Mm. I didn't know about trichology. When I tell people that when I first started studying it, when I was doing it, people still don't know what that is. Yeah, it's very And this is people within the industry. This is people who are stylists. Yeah. Who who are trained. So I'm not talking, I will never call somebody that's not actually trained and certified a stylist. Yeah. These people that don't know. Yeah, I, I know. And you know what? It, we're a pretty small industry, but we've yeah. actually been around for over 100 years now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so important to get the word out there for people to realise that there is a specialist yeah. who literally focuses only on scalp and hair conditions. Mm-hmm. And why I say that's important is, you know, I have a huge amount of respect for the medical profession, for mm-hmm. dermatologists. But often what they're seeing is maybe a scalp condition for every 20 or 30 conditions that they treat. Yeah. Whereas I'm seeing it every single day, yeah. maybe multiple times a day. So the frequency of uh, an experience in getting used to recognising conditions mm-hmm. and how to treat them is really, really easy. So certainly a lot of people tend to be referred on to dermatologists. You know, scalp is another part of your skin, of course. I think where trichologists can add an extra level is that they're constantly seeing scalp conditions. They're constantly dealing with hair and scalp conditions. Not only that, they're aware of the practices that go along with these conditions. They can sometimes not often be um, made aware of to dermatologists in that five, 15 minute consultation that they've got with you. So having a chance to really sit down with someone, understand all their hair care practices, all their health backgrounds, their diet, their stress levels, be able to examine the scalp as well, usually means I can achieve like a really holistic approach in terms of the treatment method that we're gonna go Mm -hmm. through. So not only what not to do, what to do, but what to look out for in the future as well. And that's why we call it an investment in your hair health. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's not free. It's not on the NHS, no. admittedly. But um, it's it's going to be a step in terms of educating yourself mm-hmm. on how to look after your hair and your 
scalp for the foreseeable future. And I think one of the things that I, why I fell in love with trichology is because it has that level of personalization. Yeah. Hair care is not run of the mill. No, what no. will work for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person because of the other underlying factors. So say somebody who, who might have sickle cell or something like that. How you would treat that person, how you would deal with that person and their hair is not going to be the same as somebody else who comes in maybe showing the same sort of signs of hair damage but not necessarily have the same internal situation yeah. going on. Absolutely. I mean, I think, to be honest with healthcare in general, that approach is becoming more and more apparent that we have to become more bespoke. Yeah. So we're understanding far more that, you know, different genetics play different roles in the same condition yeah. with different people. So our approach has to be more um, bespoke, more unique, um, and, and adapted for the individual. And that's how you actually get the most relevant hair care for you and the exactly. most relevant health care for you. Um, so, so taking you're not, that time, you're, you're not prescribing coconut oil for everybody. Then <laughs> I don't think I've ever prescribed coconut oil ever. <laughs> to people, be I'm sure, do you get people that come to you and say, "Well, I use coconut oil because coconut oil is supposed to be good for the scalp." They don't even tell me it's supposed to be good. They say because it is good oh, for the scalp. Okay. Um, and and we we go through the re-education yeah. of you know sebum being present. This yeah. you know million year evolved oil that your body's naturally created that actually does the process really better much better um we go through that all and it's it's a chance like i said to educate yeah. our patients on perhaps not believing everything they see on youtube as well not you know with a little pinch of salt bearing in mind what it gets chucked on instagram yeah and it not necessarily being you know a wash and go all the time thank you and what is a wash and go what is a wash and go is not what they show us that's just another whole thing there's there's a couple of hair stylists that um have youtube channels and one of them he's he's based in america and he's trained he's actually a trained stylist and he specializes in afro and he's just like that's not a wash and go that's one of his bugbears yeah. because what people get told is a wash and go yeah. is a four-hour process that yeah. doesn't involve washing and going yeah. so so i think you know it's managing those expectations basically and making people realize that actually the fact that you aren't achieving that incredible hair that you saw on that YouTuber by following exactly what they did is not surprising. And here's why. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing for us is breaking down why and answering those questions. I think the amount of myths that we get through in just one consultation is, is, the, most, I can imagine. is the most valuable aspect of it, probably, yeah. in all. But it's also the most rewarding, I think, to be able to tell a person factual information yeah. that will genuinely help them and then it just cuts out the frustration doesn't it absolutely and then the, it all starts to click into place for them oh and that's why that didn't work when i tried it yeah. last year and why my cousin struggled when she tried you know yeah. it all clicks into place but it you're only really most of the time feeding mainly common sense mm -hmm. with a little bit of scientific foundation right okay but a lot of it is common sense it's just that the marketing for the myths has been so substantial yes. and so well done, let's mm -hmm. be honest. It's relentless. That it's, it's hard not to fall for it and not to take it in and assume that it's correct. So who should come and see you? <laughs> Any, honestly, anyone can come and see us. So obviously, 
a lot of people know that we kind of have an emphasis on Afro and mixed race hair types, mm -hmm. but we treat any hair types. For us, hair is hair. Mm -hmm. It's just that we have a lot of experience handling and managing treating Afro hair types. But we've had babies from the age of three in our consultation room. We've had elderly people at, you know, 87. Why is a baby coming at three? So actually, that was a fungal infection oh, okay. that wasn't correctly diagnosed. Okay, because I was thinking, what did they do to the poor child to get, no, you know? No, no. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. you know... The people such, are concerned. So, yeah, we've got some mummies who listen to the podcast. Yeah, so let them know what to look out for with their babies. What's a healthy scalp on a baby? And I, I know you can't be generalised. It's, it's very you know, hard to generalise. some common sense stuff that... I think from... From a parent's perspective, it's just about keeping it simple in terms of what you're putting on your kid's head. Yeah. Um, they haven't got the sebaceous gland activity that mm -hmm. a, a, a pubescent, post-pubescent adult has. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have that natural protection that sebum can provide. So if you're putting loads of different things on the hair, lots of different oils, you're actually encouraging the opportunity for an allergic reaction, irritation, um, and fungal and bacterial infections. So just keep it super simple. You know, the hair does not need any product in. The baby's hair is, this, you know, the softest it can possibly really be in, in your whole lifetime. So they don't need anything else. What about the styling aspect of it? My two words, big and loose. Big and loose. Should we be styling babies? Do we really need to? No, no. Personally, no. no. I don't think so. But no. it seems like... I know a lot of parents struggle with sort of detangling hair and keeping it untangled so that they don't have to go through that painful process. But with whichever style you should do it, first of all, it shouldn't take up hours of your time because no baby is going to sit there for hours whilst you style it somehow. You shouldn't um, be putting in loads of product mm -hmm. because, once again, you don't want to put that irritation potential. What about edge tamer and slicking down the, the edges? <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, but there's a reason for this, okay? Because I get asked these questions. I yeah. see. I don't see why you should get away with I not mean, being asked that. What about yeah, edge tamer? I know. It's like it's the idea of like almost like putting makeup on a baby. You know, it it's aspiring to an image that the baby has no concern for, no care for at all. Yeah. Um, and let's let's try and avoid putting that insecurity of image in our children so early on, okay? That, don't get me wrong, you know, when you have your little makeup day and, and it's play, playing up and, and it's a bit of an occasion. It's dress up. It's dress up, exactly. But from a day-to-day -day basis, a child just needs to be comfortable. Yeah. And let them focus on other things. What about hair bands? <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I'm now throwing things yeah, at yeah. you that get thrown at me. Yeah. And just so that people scrunchies, listen. Scrunchies, man. I'm, uh, scrunchies, I'm, I'm the biggest fan of scrunchies, okay? They don't snap break mm -hmm. or pull on the hair they don't catch hair and as the child gets older you can make them with them you can make your own yeah, scrunchies make, at home make a scrunch at home yeah sure but uh, but i mean ultimately like elastic bands those tight bands anything tight just get rid of them chuck them away anything with bubbles you know like balls on or decoration where yeah. hair is going to get tangled and chuck it away like a nice big scrunchie is so comfortable it's easy to remove it's easy to put in and it won't break the hair. What about things like, just focusing on parents for, it, for a little bit, because we do work with quite a lot of parents. Um, in terms of playing, activities, you know, sport, swimming, that kind of thing. I, I find sometimes people can be a bit neurotic about what they put the children through. Um, what advice would you give? Because summer's coming up for parents with kids. 
especially mixed race kids, they're going to go to the seaside, that kind of fun. What should they be aware of just so that they can maybe minimize hair damage and stress? I mean, seriously, keep it simple. Mm. I get, I think we sometimes overthink these things. Mm. It just needs to be simple. So, you know, one big plait, if, mm. you, if the hair needs to be pulled back and mm-hmm. it, you know, a ponytail is going to be too tight mm-hmm. and it's just going to come out. But otherwise, let the hair be free. Whilst they're kids, let them be free. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Normally, I tell my clients before they go swimming, if they're not using a swimming cap, saturate the hair with water because in that way it's not going to absorb too much chlorine. Um, Yeah, I mean, to be honest, just making sure the hair's really well rinsed off afterwards Mm -hmm. and then you condition it, you know, cleanse it but then condition it is, is important. But don't stop yourself from swimming just because you're worried about how the hair's going to be. Like, swim. Swim's a, such a fantastic exercise. Yes, yeah, I, I get told black girls don't swim. Yeah, well, they certainly can swim. <laughs> they should be swimming. They're just often encouraged not to. Yeah. Um, because of the hair. Like, it's hair the hair should not thing. be stopping anyone from yeah. doing any exercise. And curly hair loves water. That's the yeah. thing with curls. They, they love water. So it's like, well, make it wet before you go in. Okay, so maybe we can talk a little bit about... Because you said anybody can come and see you. How often do you think people should go and check in with a trichologist? Or So, I mean, if there's no major concern, it's really, you know, it's, it's about like thinking about a health checkup. The way you'd approach your health and you'd want it checked up and made sure that everything's okay, taking along, same approach with, with trichology. Um, if there is an actual concern, come in as soon as possible rather than risk the opportunity of exacerbating the condition. And then we're at a position where maybe we've got scarring, permanent hair loss. So I don't want to scare people, but it, for many patients, it has got to that stage. So let's prevent what we can and let's treat it as soon as possible. Fantastic. So the, you know, the, you've got a little bit more security. You've got more regulations in the UK um, that manage cosmetic surgery specifically. Yeah there's that risk that you have to take then if you're going abroad and you're not familiar with the rules, the regulations, the expectations on their surgeons. So if you've really done your homework and you really trust what the the surgeon that you're you're going to do the procedure with and you're happy with the process, who am I to stop you? But the language barrier was a big thing. I mean, I'm hoping we'll get Chanel back because we... She was about to tell us about how the language was a huge thing and she didn't realize that she would have to have her whole head shaved off and that's very traumatizing for a person to be told right we're taking off all your hair and you're not ready for that i mean i know for a lot of black women it's like a part of your being natural is the big chop but that's something that we support our um our clients Through. through Um, and sometimes with some of them, we, we have the consultations and we think, yes, you want to go natural, you're transitioning, but let's transition you with protective styling. So these are the styles that you can have. Yeah. This is what we'll do. And then we'll take it off bit by bit because it's a shock. Absolutely. It, it's a real shock. Like, Psychologically. It's, yes. It's a, it's a big impact. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, you look in the mirror and do you recognise who you are? Yeah. And are you happy with that? Yeah. And that's your whole identity that's changing. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, you have to do your research. You really have to be comfortable. If there is a doubt in your mind, 
before you're going into a surgical procedure, <coughs> you need mm. to express that doubt. And if that doubt isn't put at ease, mm. then I personally, I wouldn't be going through with that. You know, you really need to feel comfortable whatever you're, you're choosing. Yeah. Um, I think language obviously is, is something that you're not going to experience in the UK. <laughs> no, no, at least, <laughs> yeah, or in your local area, yeah, because we do have listeners in yes. loads of different places, different continents. Yeah. So it's got to be local to to you and in the language that you can express yourself in and understand Absolutely. what these people are telling you. Absolutely, um, and I think also just bearing in mind, especially when it's coming when we're talking about Afro hair care, yeah, and Afro hair being transplanted, mm-hmm. it's really important that. The surgeon you're choosing is very experienced in transplanting afro hair because it's the, the way the follicle sits in the scalp is not the same way that European or Asian hair sits in the scalp. So there's often a lot of transplanted follicles that never really make it through yeah. because they've been cut in half or mm-hmm. sliced slightly off because the way the follicle sits is at an angle yeah. and the way it's been extracted is directly down straight right. into the scalp. Mm-hmm. So making sure that... Then they get ingrown hairs. Ingrown hairs or follicles that just don't take at all. Mm. So then you've paid for maybe 3,000 follicles, but perhaps 2,500 have only taken. Right. So, you know, it's, it's thinking about that as well. Um, so it's, it's a big step to go down the transplant route. Certainly it can be very effective uh-huh. if you're in a position where traction alopecia has led to scarring yeah. and there's, there's really no follicle life there uh-huh. that can be recovered. However, if there is a glimmer of life, I would always suggest seeing a, tri- a trichologist, yeah. seeing what can be recovered first uh-huh. and then knowing what you need to work with if you do want to go on to, to choose a transplant. Okay, brilliant. So, talk to me again a, a little bit about um, styling choices. I know you're not a stylist. No. But I am. Mm. I understand what you do. Mm. How can we, as thinking as a hairstylist, mm. what do hairstylists need to bear in mind and what do clients need to bear in mind when they're asking for hairstyles um, from their hairdressers? And yet there's signs of, of weakness, there's yeah. signs of damage starting to develop on the hairline. Yeah, so from a, a stylist perspective, I think, you know, I'm not asking stylists to be trichologists no. and, and to, you know, provide that consultation and provide all the knowledge there. But mm. there are definitely some key signs that they can look out for mm-hmm. and some, some advice that they can offer. So mm-hmm. key signs are looking at areas of thinning, patches uh-huh. of complete hair loss, uh-huh. um, severe amount of breakage yeah. that's occurring. So those are all things that you know the hair isn't healthy. This is a sign. This is a little a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. The, hair's, the hair isn't healthy. The scalp isn't healthy. And then you need to think, well, if the scalp isn't healthy, the hair isn't healthy, I need to put as, as low tension as possible on the hair and scalp. I need to be as gentle as possible because the hair is looking very fragile and it's likely to break more. The last thing you want as a stylist to do is to 
to do a style just because the, the, your client has requested it. And then, you know what, there's huge amounts of breakage afterwards and they blame you. Mm-hmm. So actually it's covering yourself a little bit mm. and also caring for your, your client. Right. You know? And the client? And from the client's perspective, I would want to, if you've shown and expressed a concern, person needs to be either firstly taking it seriously because mm-hmm. often people will dismiss it because they just want to get on with <laughs> what they're styling um, if it's if they're admitting that they're not sure about it that's okay mm-hmm. for a stylist to admit that they're not sure and maybe that you should see someone else is much better than them claiming they yeah. know and perhaps giving you the wrong advice yeah so a stylist admitting their limitations is wonderful actually mm-hmm. it's really really impressive um, from a, a style's perspective, we want to stay... So my, my two big um, phrases are stay big and stay loose, okay? Yeah. So if we're going for a plait, mm-hmm. it's the biggest plait we can, we can go for rather yeah. than seven little plaits, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going for um, any, any form of um, styling, it's loose, 100%, because we want to eliminate any tension. So that means taking away extensions or any added hair that we're mm-hmm. putting on the hair and scalp that's taking away any slicking back or pulling back styles which i know people love i need you to say that again <laughs> okay right so i need you to say that that bit again because at the moment one of the things that really drives me crazy is is people slicking down the baby hairs yeah and then the baby hairs and i'm thinking don't do that to kids yeah, just yeah, yeah. let's stop that. Yeah, you I know? think the the idea that you want to achieve this really slicked back look is only going to result in damage. Um, not only is it the gels that are being used, the mm-hmm. tightness that is being used to pull it back, but it's also the bristle brushes that are being used to create that slick. And the toothbrushes. Um, the toothbrush. I mean, wow, who knew there was such use for toothbrushes? Um, so definitely enjoy the little fuzz and the frizz that comes with With curls with curls with your texture you know it's so important but it's also just creating like a realistic image of what afro hair is afro hair is not slicked down thank you afro hair is you know frizzy and fuzzy and curly and kinky and it's just such a variety yeah and you'll have short hairs and you'll have long hairs textured it's It's, It's absolutely fine it's textured and that's very important i think the more we see um, realistic portrayals, that is so important because I think one of the other, one of my biggest bugbears is when clients come and they will say, my curls are not popping and my curl pattern and my this and my that. And I'm thinking, but you don't need healthy hair, Mm. doesn't need gels to define the curl. Mm. What you're trying to create is not real and is not true because that is the weight of the product yeah. creating yeah. a curl pattern that is actually not your own. I think that's a, yeah, it's a good point. And also just the fact that your hair, you've got to manage expectations here. Your hair may not ever achieve the curl pattern of someone else's just because they use that product or they did this regime <laughs> yes. or they cut it this way or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, your hair fundamentally may never be achieved. So, so to chase after that curl pattern is to constantly let yourself down for disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the sooner we realise that your own pattern can be healthy, yeah. may, not, may not 
always feel soft because you know maybe you have a coarser hair type yeah may not always be completely defined because maybe you have a zigzagging kind of curl pattern mm-hmm. or you have multiple curl patterns exactly which is head. which is what i find a lot of women with with um unprocessed mm-hmm. hair I have got more than one yes text one curl pattern I, on I, their head yeah. and it's just like sometimes they're mixed in in such a way that it's like you cannot say I will define this part of my hair like this and that part of my hair yes. like that. It's like just let them be curls. Yeah, absolutely. I think to be honest, a, a, quite a few of my patients come into the consultation saying I've done some research and I'm a four B or a three C or a two A, you know, curl pattern, and I just I, it really means nothing. It means. Oh, nothing. say that again. <laughs> say that again. You know, it's, it means absolutely nothing because hair is nothing. not a number. It's, and not, it's a number. not a letter no. in the alphabet. Exactly. And if you're really going to be accurate about it, you will find probably every single curl pattern in every single head. There's just too much of a variety. Exactly. So to define your, yourself by that curl pattern and then only by the products that are suggested for that curl pattern is is not looking at the situation logically. Yeah. We need to think and take a step back and think, okay, we have hair, hair to work with. Mm-hmm. We need hair to be healthy. Yeah. What are the steps to make hair healthy? Not 2A or 4B. No, that's it. Um, and that's, that's sometimes, once we get past that with our patients, it's suddenly much more simple. It's so a lot easier. <laughs> like the relief sweeps yes. over them. They're like, oh. Hair is hair. It's just hair. It's just a little bit more porous than other hair types. Right. So as, as, a, as a trichologist, talk to me about one of the things that happens in the, in, in the black hair community is people talk about the no-poo method. Um, they don't use shampoo because, you know, or they use sulfate-free shampoo. Um, so the stylist in me is saying, well, um, you need to cleanse your scalp. You need to clean your scalp. And what you put on your hair needs to be effectively removed. Yeah. Otherwise, you start to have an unhealthy situation going on. And then the trichologist in me is like, well, the same thing. If you're putting tons of product on your hair, you're going to have build-up. Build-up will affect your hair's health. Absolutely. It will affect your scalp. It's going to play... What do you have to say to people who feel that a certain type of shampoo works and a certain type of shampoo doesn't work or shampooing is wrong? First of all, if you wash your body, then you need to wash your hair as well. You know, it's, it's just about cleansing, cleansing and removing actively what no longer needs to be or what originally wouldn't have been on your hair and scalp, right? So always shampoo. In terms of sulfate, please no sulfate. If you're not using any products on your hair, use no sulfate shampoo. Great, nice and gentle, lovely. You know, my granny doesn't put anything on her hair and she uses a no sulfate shampoo because it's super mild. Yeah. Wonderful. If you're using loads of products on your hair and a lot of those products have conditioning agents in them, and part of the, the action of those conditioning agents is to cling and stick to the hair, especially in areas of damage, mm-hmm. you need to remove that properly. Explain so you, why they need to do that, please. So if you are not removing that properly, you're going to get a build-up of these conditioning agents on the outside of the hair. And what that does is actually create a barrier 
on the hair. So if you've got this nice, strong barrier on the outside of your hair, but that's building up week after week, sometimes month after month, uh-huh. no water after that point of, of conditioning is coming into the hair. So your hair underneath all of that lovely product is, um, is just getting drier and drier and drier. And then we wonder why suddenly patients see a lot of breakage. You know, if, and it's the same thing with oils. Yeah. Okay. If you're constantly coating the hair with oils, you're creating a nice waterproof barrier all around the hair. In areas where the hair is porous or damaged, it's actually soaking up that oil, mm-hmm. okay? And you're, you're lining the hair now with waterproof, um, you know, material. Mm-hmm. So we know that oil doesn't mix with water. We mm-hmm. know that they, they separate, in fact. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely waterproof. So to then expect that oil to all come off when you wash your hair maybe once, maybe sometimes once a month, mm-hmm. sometimes once every six weeks, I've, I've even had, and assume that you've done an effect an efficient cleansing process by using yeah. a no-sulfate shampoo is is a joke, unfortunately. Or by using bicarb. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what, what I think for me personally, what I find so frustrating is when they come to me and they're like, "Well, this is how I clean my hair, and I do this," and I'm thinking, "But why? Yeah, why do you do that?" Well, I did some research, and you're like. Where are you people doing your research and from who? And guess what? YouTube. Most times it's YouTube and it's some YouTuber in America. Yeah. Different different genetics, different weather, yeah. just different age. Yeah. Um, and then you don't know that this person is being 100% honest about everything that they are doing. And they're not you and you're not them. And they're also not trained to understand what hair is they're not a trained stylist they're not a trichologist they're not a dermatologist they are not in anything they're just somebody like you with a camera sharing their i think i tried this and this is what happened yeah yeah i mean from from like a scientific point of view so i i I did science for my degree and i always have Mm -hmm. that mindset with me and um when you look at that as like a form of evidence gathering you know it's just it it is laughable, you know. I know you're like holding back laughter, but it is laughable. Yeah. Um, you will never put in like a medical procedure because of anecdotal evidence. You might exactly. trial it out yeah. and see from an experimental point of view with a, a bigger sort of um, sample size whether it works. But yeah. you'll never just say, "Oh yeah, this is what you should do." <laughs> yeah. Based on one person. It's not law. And not controlling for all the variables of, like you said, age, weather. Um, products that they're using, whether there's a conflict of interest, frankly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I think we all could benefit from being a little bit more critical in our approach to the information we receive. Yeah. And that's not just from like a hair perspective, that's from no. like, the news, mm-hmm. politics, marketing in general, right? Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. There's, there's always going to be a role that is played with marketing and it is to convince you that you should spend your money. Exactly. Okay? Which brings me to the other thing about products. Mm. Yeah, so we want to talk about what is it that we should be looking for when it comes to products because the big companies, they could have and they should have, but they didn't. For so many years, yeah. they just put out whatever they put out. And now the big thing is no parabens, no silicones, yeah. no this, no that. And it's, I almost feel like it's just people sticking words onto labels 
and yeah. saying it's got shea butter, it's got coconut oil, it'll yeah. be good for your hair. Yeah. And we're buying into that without... I think, I think what you say there is that it's a perfect approach to marketing. So yeah. I actually used to work in market research <laughs> whilst I was studying for trichology. Right. And what I always noticed is that, you know, trends influence what brands decide they're going to do with their next product. Uh-huh. And it's very much the way I see the Afro hair care market. Yeah. Big brands have picked up on the independent trends yeah. of shea butter, of coconut oil, of yeah. castor oil, of argan oils. And now they've realized we need to come up with an, a new product to lure in that Afro um, pound, uh-huh. basically, uh-huh. to be spent on, uh-huh. on our brand. How are we going to do that? We'll do our standard shampoo, but we'll say we've added argan oil. Exactly. We'll do our normal conditioner, but it's got shea butter in it. Yeah. And it's starting to be, yes, an element that's added in to get the black pound in. Yeah. Okay. What I'm also a little concerned about is, you know, I'm all for entrepreneurs. I'm all for people realizing there's a gap in the market and filling it. What I'm concerned about is where people are unsure of how their product will impact their customer. Yeah. And if you haven't done rigorous customer research mm-hmm. and product research um, and you're asking people to apply this to their skin, yeah. you know, um, there's going to be a level of absorption there, yeah. then you have to really be trusting in the fact that you're not going to do someone harm. Yeah. You know, imagine if that's going onto a child's skin and there's an allergic reaction. How can you be sure your products aren't going to create that? Yeah. So I think there's a level of responsibility from our small entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. our small creators as well. And from a customer perspective, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I would say that the black female hair customer is the most up-to-date in terms of their knowledge of ingredients out of everyone there. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I'm so impressed at how willing they are to read up on things, to yeah. research, to investigate. But it's just, once again, checking where you're getting that information from. Right, exactly. So there was a lot of sort of like furore about parabens, about sulfate. Yeah. Um, There are a couple of others that were... Silicones. as well. um, That was, you know, they're terrible. Yeah. Avoid them, oh my goodness. Yeah. But when we we go back to the source of who originally sort of said, oh, started off that they're terrible, Mm -hmm. they're often based on very small studies Mm -hmm. where there was an an association linked with something. So, for example, you take parabens. They're an incredibly stable, incredibly effective preservative. Mm -hmm. And if your product has water in it, it needs a preservative. Exactly. Full stop. You cannot get away with giving someone something with with water in it and not managing for the microorganisms that will will form yes. in that product otherwise. Yeah. So And I think a lot of black women will understand this, especially if they have the spray bottle, because what we do with our clients is curly hair spray bottle, number one. Rule number one, spray bottle fingers. Okay, for daily, you know, yeah, just yeah. detangling. But I always say to my clients, don't put stuff into your spray bottle mm. because that's why it starts to turn black and it starts to get moldy and all sorts of things start to happen. And then it's like, oh, that's going on your skin. That's funky. Yeah. Let's not do that. Absolutely. Just water on its own is a very good place to start. Yeah. Why? Because you start to mix water and, and rose oil and glycerin and this and that and you're creating this concoction that's making your hair all soft and whatever. But at the same time, it's got no preservative. Nothing in there. Nothing. 
So it's, it's a real concern. And where people have stepped away from parabens, I'm hoping that they bring an alternative in. But if they haven't, then you're really putting a person's health in your hands. I don't. You see, I get to, I get to try out a lot of um, products that are being made by people. And I, I am worried and concerned sometimes, purely because I'm thinking, who formulated this? Yeah. Because it's very easy to go on YouTube and get recipes for DIY. Yes. I mean, we, I give our clients DIY recipes for, oh, okay, this is what you want to do. You can go home, mix this and that, because that's what you've yeah. got. Do this, do that. Okay. That's for them to use. I've looked at their situation. I know why we are doing that. So I'm saying to them, okay, go home, give yourself a hot oil treatment, use this oil, use that oil, do it this way, one-to-one. Okay. It doesn't qualify them. Usually we're treating something. Mm. It doesn't qualify them to then say, oh, okay, well, I saw this recipe here and there and yeah. it did this and it worked for me. So now yeah. I'm now making it and I'm doing this because it's like, well, making, whipping something up for yourself, even a body scrub yeah. for yourself Absolutely. in your house with some sugar and some oil is not the same as making that for other people. No, absolutely. And, and that's, that's when, you know, the consultation pays off so much because you're getting unique information for yourself about how to care for yourself. Yeah. Um, and you can make those decisions about what products you're going to get, yeah. what products you're going to buy into. But the idea of just mixing a couple of oils together and assuming that you can sell it just like that, first of all, is, um, I think is, is naive, actually. I mean, don't get me wrong, people do it and get away with it. But I think from a, a health perspective, it's, it's naive in the long term because you can put people in well that's a lawsuit waiting to happen I think Johnson and Johnson have a lawsuit in America um, a class action lawsuit because of one of their products for babies talcum powder yeah Mm. and there's another one currently going as well related to another um, of their products I think it's their oil so you know, yeah, we've I mean, got that's an example for all of yeah, us to be aware of. Exactly. What would you say to people that think, okay, we do? Because I know a lot of trichologists will have their own yeah. line of shampoos, conditioners, and stuff, but then that's formulated for a purpose from a reason, and usually with an understanding of hair, exactly, and scalp diseases and hair issues. So yeah. it's it's targeted at something. What would you say for somebody who thinks, oh well, I think I want to to start something yeah to start a product line Mm. i would say you know what if you're willing to do the research and that's in cosmetic science yeah you know and certainly if you're specifically looking at hair i would suggest doing either a hairdressing course or a trichology course so you understand the chemical fundamentals of hair and how it responds to and when i say that you see people accuse me of having a conflict of interest and and i have been accused of trying to to um to <laughs> I've been accused of trying to stop someone else's creativity and say well we can't all be hairdressers and we can't all be trichologists but I was like well as somebody who's done both I realize why both are important when it comes to product formulation so why are you as a as a registered trichologist why is that your point of view? why do you feel that way I mean I'm never going to take medication from someone who hasn't had a pharmaceutical degree 
um, who study pharmacology or has a medical background. And it's the same with any other area of product. Equally, I'm probably not going to eat food from someone who <laughs> hasn't done, first of all, food hygiene. Or is yeah. a chef. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, we're, we all really want to see a step up in the quality yeah. of products in the Afro hair care market. Uh-huh. And that demands certain levels of professionalism, of, of research and of qualification when it comes to creating those products. Now, I'm not saying that anyone out there couldn't step up to those requirements and then create their product. Absolutely, if they've got drive and they think mm. that that's an opportunity for them and they want to learn and they're passionate about it, then that's probably the way we're going to get the best quality products coming to the market. Mm-hmm. But if it's just sort of like, oh, well, I saw this girl on YouTube doing it and she looks like she's doing well, yeah. let me try. That's not the right attitude, first of all, to come to the market with. Uh-huh. You know, you really want to know your stuff back to front, know exactly why you're adding each ingredient to your product, know exactly what purpose that's providing, know the problem that, that you're, you're meant to be solving. Dryness, dryness. Everybody's trying to fix dryness. And yeah, dryness, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, I think it's just asking more from all of us, you know, it's, yeah, it's easy to say when I've already gone through the trichology qualification, Mm -hmm. I'm on the other end. I know it was a slog to get through that, but at the same time, I was really passionate about it. And so I saw, I saw it through to the end and I realize and understand the ingredients in our products, why we put them in there, how we manage our products, you know. The sell-by date even, you know, we're, yes. we've got to be so strict on all those things for our patients. Even our medicated range yes. is not available just for the public to buy. No. That's only through consultation. So it's managing also who has access to those products and that they know and understand how to use them. That's our responsibility. So mm-hmm. we, we go as far as we possibly can in controlling that. Do you think regulation could be better? I think regulation at the moment... I mean, there's you already have the cosmetics regulation, which expects all products to be tested um, and to basically not have any level of poor poor results, poor use uh-huh. um, following them going out to market. If they are, then people can, you know, file a complaint, file oh. a, um, uh, I can't remember what the word is now, uh, oh no, it's gone. <laughs> well, how can, how can yeah. our listeners know? How can our listeners know that a product is suitable for... Because a lot of things are done online and via social media. You know, yeah. you see a person yeah. shake their hair and say, oh, I woke up like this and the rest yeah. of it. And you buy this product. But when yes. it comes, just from a styling perspective, um, when I'm using products and I rub them in my hands, that's usually a test to see the formulation. And um, I happen to, to do some freelance work for a formulation company. Yeah. And so I have access to formulators and I can say to them, hang on a minute, this is what the product is doing. Why is that happening? And they will say, ah, this, that, the other went wrong. So I guess the question is, if people are interested in setting up brands, how, how much should they be working with people who understand and work with yeah. hair in it, their oh. quest to, to produce these good I mean, if you imagine you're creating a product that's going to be used on hair, fundamentally you need to be working with someone who uses products on hair. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's, it's hand in hand, the partnership should mm-hmm. be. And 
don't see that as a competition. No. See that as the ultimate market research, to be honest. Because if someone's going to be willing to be honest with you um, about how the product is responding uh-huh. on different hair types, during different styling methods, yeah. then you've got fantastic market research there. And ultimately, if you're not willing to take on that feedback <laughs> and adjust the product, then you're not going to sell product. So you've invested a lot of money in product that's not going to sell. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If, if people really want to see this as a source of income, it's about creating quality products. And that will sell them. Mm. And then, yeah, it will be a source of income. Fantastic. Mm. But just to mix, mix up a, a butter for the sake of it, um, you know, I don't see that how that's adding value to the industry that we desperately need to revolutionise. That's a very good point. It's thinking about the industry because you are a part of it. We are all a part of it. And I think we should all be working a lot closer together, which is my thing with stylists. Don't try and heal a situation or fix a situation that needs somebody else to be making a diagnosis and saying, actually, this patch on the head rather than cover it over with a weave. This is a this is a health condition. This is a this is a medical situation. This is a scalp situation. Yeah. They, they have to um, send people. I think in America it's to a dermatologist. Yeah. Different countries have different things, yeah. but how important do you think it is for people to start doing this cross referral? Uh, like so fundamental, so fundamental. First of all, it raises awareness of the fact that there is an option for help. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, it takes away the pressure and responsibility from the stylist who is trying to solve something that may not even be possible to solve. It may mm-hmm. be scarring that's yeah. present, you know, and they're maybe ask, claiming, oh, try this product, try this, and, and constantly no improvement is seen, and they're looking more embarrassed and more embarrassed. So understanding everyone's limitations in the industry is so important. For example, a patient comes to me, and I can see that there's a lot of shedding you know, they're losing a lot of hair, they're looking really tired. I'm thinking, you guys, you need a blood test. Yeah. You know, I'm not about to draw the blood myself. No. <laughs> so I'm going to refer on to the doctor, to their GP. You know, I'm going to suggest why a blood test would be recommended. Mm-hmm. And the GP is going to make the ultimate decision as to whether the blood test would go ahead. Mm-hmm. And if so, get the results back. And but see what the problem is. Do you see what I mean? That there has to be that referral process um, going on. And it goes both ways. So if I know that my patients are basically out of the woods and they're doing well, I want to have access to a good natural stylist that I can refer on to. So it's not about taking clients away from stylists. No. We want to actively find people that people can trust Mm -hmm. and visit regularly and (laughs) not feel like there's going to be a traumatic experience at the end of it. But if it's not there... There's no way I'm going to refer. No, no. I'm not going to put my patient through more trauma. Yeah, and I think that that's why the education is so important because we all need to sing from the same song sheet. Yeah. There comes a point where, as a stylist, you should know. And hairdressing does teach this. It Mm. says that there are certain situations. It is brief. Mm. But as a person, if you're practicing something, you should know that this is no longer my responsibility this is out of my scope of expertise and you should send somebody on you should say go and see your doctor go and get it does tell you to do that but I think what I find is um, 
there isn't enough again it's regulation because anybody can can braid anybody can yes open a salon anybody yeah. can there's this, no minimum anybody. qualification required. it would be so difficult for me to open a dental surgery <laughs> yes <laughs> even if i had the money it, yeah. hairdressing is one of those industries that sometimes people who own salons don't know the first thing about hair they don't know the first thing about sterilization they don't know the first thing about cleansing sanitizing they don't know anything about the not pretty stuff that goes into hairdressing yeah. they just think oh it's money and i can i've got the money i'll open a place i've got a salon i can open up and i can hire people yeah. and it's like that's so scary because even if i lived in an area where i felt i could make a killing from opening a dental surgery i can't do that yeah yeah and i you know what you raised a good point of that um there's you know you you have the opportunity basically but ultimately even if you don't have the money even if you have the education you don't have the money and you and you have the means of opening up sorry what am i saying stop that (laughs) (laughs) it's okay just gone off on a complete tangent what was i going to say um no, we're talking about anybody can open a salon, yeah. even if they don't know anything about. Yes, and it's what I I'm, I always find amazing is that even in European salons, there's usually a minimum requirement. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an expectation to see a qualification, and we've just taken it as standard mm-hmm. that Afro salons, if you can braid or you've braided your cousin's hair or mm-hmm. your sister's hair, that you can therefore get a job. Mm-hmm. braiding hair full mm-hmm. stop and we need to expect more mm-hmm. because you're ultimately hair takes a long time to grow you know mm-hmm. and if you're trusting someone with four or five years worth of growth mm-hmm. you want to know that they're not going to cause damage if there is growth happening i see a lot of people who who tell me oh i'm on my natural hair journey and, and, and they always speak from a place of they know what they're talking about but from what's on their head i can tell they don't know what they're talking about and the people doing their hair don't know what they're doing because Braiding is supposed to, that's how I transition my clients. Yeah. We transition them, we've got a couple of styles that we use depending on their lifestyle and all the other things. Mm-hmm. We transition them that way and they, within a year we'll see between four to six inches of hair growth. Yeah. And we, we take them from here to there and it's like, okay, you came here, we were braiding your hair because we were cutting off bits, now you've got a full head of hair, what do you want to do with it? Then they're like, oh, well, I don't want to braid it and I don't want to do this. But that's the whole point of braiding. That's what braids are supposed to do. So if a person's hair is being depleted, mm. there's a problem with the braider and you have a problem for going back to that person. So I need to, con- I need to confirm and conf- just... So when we talk about braiding, are you talking about cane rows? Extensions. Extension Extensions. Extension so you braids. use those as a protective style? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We do. I would have to disagree with you there. Explain why. Okay, so what we very, very frequently see is with extension braiding, so single braids we're talking about, yeah, mm-hmm. box braids, things like that. It, first of all, you've got the tension mm-hmm. applied, but then it's more about the position upon which the braid is applied on the hair, okay? So you've got the hair being tied very tightly and essentially rubbing mm-hmm. on that chunk of natural hair mm-hmm. um, with the false hair there. Depending on how long it's been left in for as well, um, pretty much anything over three weeks, mm-hmm. it's causing a huge amount of friction, okay? 
and that friction is creating fracture points very early on in the hair's growth from the scalp outwards. Mm -hmm. So where the hair should be its strongest, it's suddenly immediately getting fracture points. And what we see is that when patients end up coming to see us and we examine their hair under the microscope, even very short hair close to the scalp, we're already seeing three, four, five different fracture point areas. Mm. And it's all as a result of braiding. So I actually really ask patients to avoid braiding completely. Um, and if they want to use a style to keep the hair mm -hmm. back, um, like big, loose, cornrows, or, you know, French plaits. They'll tell you it's not cute. <laughs> okay, I'll have, to I'll, I'll, I'll have to defend my practice. No, that's up to course. Um, I totally agree with everything you say, and that's why we take a slightly different approach. Okay. So I don't braid blow-dried hair. Okay. Like I told you, I was trained well. So our braiding practices are not the standard braiding practices. None of our clients have follicular damage. Okay. None of our clients have tension. Our braids are never tight because okay. that's not the purpose okay. of it. We don't do super small braids. But what's the we weight don't, of the braids? And that's the other thing. We don't, I, my hair to braid ratio mm -hmm. is, no, seriously, I don't have a single client with hair damage. They can come in. I'm quite happy to send them in. Mm -hmm. And again, I can say this because of having gone to Trico Care mm. and having been trained well mm. by a specialist course. So there's ways of doing it and I'm quite happy to have some of my clients come in and yeah, because I think that the approach is that how braiding is usually done is not our approach at all okay. to braiding because first and foremost, we understand that curly hair is curly. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you cannot expect it to behave like straight hair. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you cannot expect it to be slipped down. And also, we don't tend to use canopylon. A lot of our clients wind up using Afro-kinky hair braids because the two blend. Mm. So it allows them to have length. Because the other thing is, you, what we found was telling them to have their own hair out is a very psychologically traumatizing thing for a lot of black women because for so long, yeah. we've been raised okay. to aspire to straight. So to then take length away from them, to take away when you're already trying to change their minds there, is not the easiest of things. So for me, most of the braids that we will do are using the African Key Texture braids. Okay. We will do the two-strand twist. Yeah. And we, <laughs> we're well trained. We don't endorse anybody keeping their braids in for very long. So when our clients come to us, they know from that appointment, you're coming back within the next six weeks to get a hairline touch up. Okay. Because again, that can create issues because consultations, yeah. we don't braid without a consultation. And mm. that's how we lose a lot of clients because mm. by the time we start to present them with this and we're holding them accountable, yeah. they're not used to that. Yeah. So we are working through that. Yeah. We are working through okay, we need to take you to a place where you get at least six inches of hair, healthy hair, within the year. We reduce their product usage because it's like you're using a lot of unnecessary things. You're not removing them properly. Mm. You're not prepared. You can't tell somebody who's always told you that I, I wash my hair twice a year. Wow. 
Oh, yeah. Thankfully, I've never had that one. I've had four months, but not twice a year. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's like, well, no, so, my, my mum's always brought me up to, to wash my hair, this and that. And, that. But, and that's the other thing we're dealing with. Mm. We, we're, we're working, we're cutting through a lot of, of misguided loyalties. Yes. Because yes, people don't want to call out. This is why the podcast started. It's a place of where we're going to talk about uncomfortable subjects. It's not always going to be nice, but we need to be having these conversations because as much as I would like to tell people that they should have their hair like this, mm. I know it's not going to happen. And I know they'll leave me and they will go off and they will get their hair done by somebody who doesn't know what I know because I've had to invest in this training and I yep. continue to invest in training and it's not cheap. No, no, it's, it's, it's not cheap. And it's to not go standard in. either. Hence, hence what I said to you earlier about mm. reaching out to the Institute eventually because yeah. you, you keep thinking, I still have questions. Yeah. I still have questions. I still have questions. So the reason we do the styles we do at work is purely because that's the safest way of helping them start from here and getting them to a place where they love their hair and they have no issues wearing their own hair. So the uh, so braids are purely used as a transition process then, but they're not used as a, like a general styling process. It depends on the client. It depends on what the client wants and where their hair is from. Again, like I said, you see, at work, I work for our fertility. We do not braid you without a consultation. And part of the consultation is looking at your lifestyle. Why I, I do not support and endorse the idea that people are braiding individuals under the age of six with extensions. I do not agree with yeah. that. To be honest, under the age of about 15. <laughs> I, and again, as much as I'd like to take that position, mm. as a woman within it, I know that that becomes unrealistic and then you wind up losing people. This is if I stick to that, mm. right now I think it's like there's a lot that needs to be done. Yeah. We've got to start from somewhere. So for us, our cut-off point is we don't add extensions to people who are six and under. Okay. Because guess what? I'm dealing with people who are 60 and over, and they're traumatized. Yeah. So it's a question of, okay, where do we see this industry? Where do we see this in 10 years' time? I can kind of tell you where we need to go to, and it's that place where black women shouldn't have to have braids to be acceptable. Part of it they're doing because then they're being told they're not professional. I think, you know what, I, that, that comes as a conversation quite frequently with our patients mm. where they are very uncomfortable about the idea of wearing their hair natural whilst mm -hmm. they need to recover mm -hmm. because, um, because of their careers, because yeah. of the jobs they're in. Often, when we really talk about it more and more, it's more their own insecurity of being seen as professional rather than comments that have actually been made. And don't get me wrong, comments for some people have been made overtly and it's just absolutely wrong. I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to go and see HR about that. Yeah. But there are times where we've put that insecurity on ourselves. And we've I would, said... I would disagree with that. I would say, and if people who listen to the podcast know, 
This is one of the things we talk about. Mm. For those insecurities to become something I carry as a grown woman, mm. it's because they've been put in me as a child. Mm. And this is why I'm saying certain conversations that we as the black community have amongst ourselves, yeah. the way we talk about our hair, the way we talk about each other's hair, the way we talk about kids, that's where it starts from. For so them to then have that thing in their own head, and I agree, there are people, it's more of an issue for them than it is for anyone else. But it does happen. I, I, I know a lady who's a lawyer and she was told, could you possibly make your hair less African for the photo shoot? Well, that's mental considering she's a lawyer and she can sue them. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is crazy that they made a comment. So, and I'm not denying that those right. comments are being said. I just feel that because it is, we're the, the kind of the first generation where this, not first generation, because I guess that the, the like, so I, the I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. The first generation where like, we're actively saying, no. We're calling things out. Yeah, we're calling things out. We're saying, yeah. no, actually, why do I need to, why do I need to have the frizzies <laughs> and the straight and yeah, Exactly. And, and the, so I have an issue with calling it frizz. I'm just like, it's yeah. curly. It's and curly. how it shows up as curly hair, it's curly. Yeah. And that's it. So, you know, there's certain times. But I agree with you because, again, I think your clients have the benefit of support. Yeah. Our clients have the benefit of support. So a lot of what I do, I've actually started a counselling course. I'm learning yeah. how to do counselling because I realise that that's a lot of what I'm yeah. doing. Because it's not about the hair. It's not about how they look. You know, when a grown woman who's intelligent, professional, well-qualified comes and tells you, I don't like my ears. Yeah. You're like, girl, uh, what? No, my hair's got to cover my ears. People like, but where did that come from? Yeah. Who at work said that? But it's no longer work. It's yeah. what's happening at home. I've got clients who get told things like, is that how you're coming to the wedding? By family members. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. family doing this to kids. And then it's like, let's go. Nyasha's going to make your hair pretty. She's going to make you pretty. No, I don't make anybody pretty. Pretty comes from inside. Yeah. Pretty Absolutely. is who you Absolutely. are on the inside. Like, so I just think there's a lot of work we need to do. A huge <laughs> We're asking for a lot from our black female community. We're asking for a huge amount for them to challenge what hasn't been done before. Yeah. We're asking for them to initially feel maybe quite uncomfortable, but for the, the benefit of feeling more at home in their own skin yeah. eventually. We're asking they them do to, need the support. They, they do need, and hair, this is where hairdressers yeah. need to yeah. invest in their own education and in their own training. But it's also about asking our own community as well to say you know what, the judgment just doesn't need to come up as off, as frequently as it does. Like you said, there's a lot of comments from family. There's a lot of comments from friends. I think that's probably the biggest pressure mm -hmm. that comes, mm -hmm. that comes up. When, and from little. And, yeah, from, yeah. But as in, it's, it's that, mm -hmm. that, those, that community that you're around always mm -hmm. that is the one that comments the most. Yeah. And that, that community needs to be a lot more supportive as well yeah. and needs to embrace the idea that we might have this different image of this you know phenomenal black woman in our community as well that that isn't you know with the weave mm -hmm. and isn't fear worrying and and feeling insecure about not being taken seriously in her yeah. incredible career yeah i had a patient who said you know what eleanor it's i've worked so hard to get into the role that i have which, so she was a solicitor uh -huh. in, in a firm in, in central London. I mean, 
really good fun. And I was just like, whew, well done, girl. Yeah. You know, but she's like, I have worked so hard. I don't want to be standing out any further and yeah. be picked on or called out any further just because my hair is so different. I just want to blend in. Yeah. And I think, wow, the idea that just by having Afro hair, it has to be a political point yeah. or a statement. Yeah. Or that, you know, you, you're trying to stand out somehow. Yeah. I get that. I, I get comments like that. It's ridiculous. I, I, get, I do get comments like that where people... My hair's kind of tied back today mm. and I sprayed it so it's shrinking and all sorts. But sometimes it's just I've not done any of that. And people try and make it look tidy. People kind of, I know, they'll be like, oh, you, you tidy. What do you mean I need to tidy my hair? This is what it does. Yeah. It, this is what it does. And if the wind comes along, then it's windswept. Why can't I be windswept as a woman with, with, with natural hair? Why can I not be windswept? Why does windswept have to be long, blonde, not black? Yeah, absolutely. And for me, you know, thinking about that, that patient that I had, and oh. her wanting to blend in, yeah. I thought, you know, if there were five other black women in that firm that had their natural hair out, it yeah. just wouldn't be a big deal for her. Yeah. And yeah, it's hard to get the five women in the firm to begin with, because yes. frankly, you know... And never mind what colour they are. Hiring, hiring <laughs> an employment... Yeah, never yeah. mind what colour they are, exactly. just to get the five women as yeah. a starting point. Full stop. And then for them all to be black, I think that... Do you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. but for any woman who's in that profession where they feel like they stand out... I almost have to ask them, you know what? It's not about standing out, it's just about being you. you. And the sooner that you can embrace that, everyone in that office will be forced to embrace it because you're still doing the same great work. Exactly. You're still, you know, setting the bar high. You're just doing it without having to, you know, fit a wig for 45 minutes prior to going out to work yeah. in the morning. Or, yeah. you know, braiding up your hair and feeling the headaches because it's so tight or whatever. And I think if people do, because I am a bit of a wiggy, I, I do like a wig. Um, I am a wiggy. But it's more of a choice. It's yeah. because I want to. Absolutely. And I think anybody, like I'm very, I'm not pro hair dyes. No. I so don't. I would much rather play around with synthetic hair and let's use, let's use hair pieces. That's what hair pieces are for. Um, I, I also see quite a lot of Caucasian women now starting to get quite a lot of bad hair damage because of the extensions oh my goodness um and it's like well yeah. there's wigs people there's wigs let's just use yeah. wigs but let's use them correctly let's yeah. use them occasionally occasionally and let's understand what we're doing i think it's just the understanding that this is not it's an option if we yes. want to have fun it's an option yeah. but it shouldn't be who we are yeah would i say every day do you want to damage seven years worth of hair growth or do you want to wear a wig for a day like wear a wig for a day <laughs> you know it's, yes that's not difficult but this, it's got to be done the right way the wigs have got to be used correctly because i also encounter a lot of people who who are using wigs the wrong way and i've got clients who i've had to discourage from using wigs just because their particular hairline is is it's like you have a naturally weak hairline anyway yeah. um so you don't want to be doing anything that's going to make it even weaker so let's not do that but i i think one of the biggest things is a lot of it is just the support 
Yeah. A lot of it is the support. And this is where the consultations where people go to yeah, a trichologist or people go to a dermatologist or people go to a well-trained Afro yeah. head professional. It makes a difference because I'm working with my clients one-on-one -on -one and that's why it costs, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you're asking for someone who's invested so much in their education. You're asking for an hour of their time. Yeah. One-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. That, that isn't cheap. It's because bespoke. imagine if... if it, if I wasn't doing that consultation, maybe I'd be doing three treatments at the same time. Yeah. You know? So, of course, that comes with a cost. But the mm. idea is that in the long term, you're getting much more out of it. It's an investment, and you're hoping that investment will grow in terms of value, right? Yeah. So you have more education, you have more support, you have more understanding mm. of what's going to happen. And you hopefully have, you know, a treatment plan mm -hmm. and an idea of what the future will look like for your yeah. hair. And that comes with any area of healthcare. Yeah. If you have a concern about it, seek a professional and invest yeah. in it you know because more often than not the reason that brands spend so much money on marketing is yeah. because fundamentally that the actual product isn't that amazing yeah so they've really got yeah. to convince you yeah <laughs> they've got okay. to con us into buying it yeah exactly so i think it's um it's it is so important okay. to think who am i getting my information from yeah where do you where would you like to see, especially black hair, because I know you've got a lot of clients who are black women, where would you like to see the hair care industry in about five to ten years? Where do you think we should be? Well, I know that there are already... Where we should be or where we, where we are going to be? Where, <laughs> different questions. where should we be? We just need to start putting... We just need to start saying no, no, no. Yeah. Where should we be? We should be somewhere. Yeah. Because, I mean, look, this is an industry that brings in a lot of revenue. A huge amount. A huge. huge it's amount. a trillion dollar industry. Yeah. So if it's not being managed well, yeah, then that's a real shame because I think people who the powers that be need yeah. to look into regulation. I feel yeah. um, that that definitely regulation needs yeah. to change. Who can open a salon and who can work in a salon and who should be doing what needs to change. Yeah. Um, training needs to change. Yeah. I think, so, what I would love to see is, as standard, you know, first, you know, hairdressing courses, as standard, having Afro-Caribbean hair present, because often, more often than not, it can be forgotten, or it's a module, I think, when a module, that, that can be, you know, sometimes optional. Apparently, now you can learn how to do Afro-hair in a week or in a day. There we There's go. courses <laughs> in London where you can go and you can learn how to do it in a day. There we go. You know, so without that base knowledge, then you're not going to have stylists that feel confident. Stylists need to also know that there are options to refer out to. Okay. Uh -huh. uh -huh. And from a customer's perspective, we need to be demanding a bit more quality. You know, I know that we've all got a budget to stick to. Absolutely. But you have to remember your hair takes a long time to grow and it's not going to repair itself. It's just a long strand of dead cells. Okay, so if you're going to do damage to it, bear in mind that you're going to be waiting a long time until that damage is either cut off, uh -huh. repaired, or improved. Yeah, and also I think it's important for people to remember that hair damage is cumulative. Yeah. But the hair does communicate. Your hair talks to you. The first the moment you do something and it doesn't like, it, it will tell you that I don't like what you've done. They need to take that seriously. But you have to listen. <laughs> exactly. They need to. They need to. And I, I just think this is where stylists 
again, I'm, I, maybe I can be hard on stylists because I am one and I just think I know the stuff I know because I had to keep paying. I had to keep paying to learn these things from the right places. Mm. So it's your responsibility. I think if you charge people, mm. then you should you should hold yourself to a high standard. Absolutely. But also as clients, I think clients need to take more of an interest and ask questions. Yes, they need to ask questions. I think, you know, sometimes we can get a little bit caught up in the idea of, you know, this is kind of how the parabens thing started. Like, yeah. but do your products have parabens? Oh my God, your products, you know, and, and we forget why we're asking the question to begin with yeah. or why the question started to become such a trend. So yeah, ask questions. Ask the questions that you need answered, not mm-hmm. just for the sake of ans- asking them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and for stylists not to be afraid to say, I don't know that one, you know? Mm-hmm. That's okay to not know knowledge. Mm. Seek it out, then you know your gaps of knowledge mm-hmm. and, you can, and you can fill that in. But to claim that you always know the answer and to give poor quality information out, is just to damage the industry further. No one can know everything. No. So I I work with a um, a lady who specialises in weaves. Okay. And if somebody wanted a weave, I would recommend them to Ivy, just because her her clients have got hair that is growing, that is healthy, and Ivy invests in her training. So she's okay. currently now studying trichology. Okay. Um, I work with a lady that makes wigs. But not from the point of view of, I'm just a wig maker. Mm. These are people who their foundation is understanding natural hair care. Mm. So they know hair. They're working with hair. Our aim is Mm. healthy hair. So thanks again to World of Braiding and Extensions because I went on, you know, I went to study with them and it was never something I was going to take very seriously. But it's just, she's very insistent on quality hair care. healthy hair your clients should come to a hairdresser and that should be a positive experience their hair should not be getting damaged what damages the hair is not the hairstyles it's the styling practices yeah that's a huge part of it people blow drying hair to braid it people putting braids in too tight people leaving braids in for too long not giving Mm. their clients aftercare people Mm. making braids too heavy for the person's particular hair yeah those tiny little things those, those, those are the devil. Or now people have got these million braid weaves that they put on. Or the other thing that makes me laugh, the lemonade braids. Beyonce was wearing a wig. <laughs> Kim Kimball and her team took hours to make that wig. Yeah. She wore the wig in her video and, and now, <laughs> yes, and paid a lot of money for it. Yeah. And it was made, four people were working on that unit, if I'm not mistaken. And now you've got people going to the hairdressers and you've got braiders who've become braiders because their speciality is the lemonade braids. That thing causes terrible hairline damage. Yeah. Of course, of course. I think what we need to remember is that like, if a stylist is taking hairdressing seriously, no matter what area of hairdressing they're going into, Ultimately, hairdressing is a real skill. Yeah. It's a real skill. It's not the like, you know, the like easy route because you're not very academic. Mm-hmm. It's not. The, it is very academic. This is it, stuff you've got to learn and remember. Yeah. It's it's not the like oh well I can I can open up a business if I do this one NVQ. Yeah. It's 
you have to understand the science of the chemicals that you're working with, yeah. the science of the procedures that you're working with, the physiology of the hair and the scalp, understand customer care. The combs. Even. Combs, exactly. for a start. People, combs fall onto the floor, people pick up these combs and go straight back to work. And I'm sitting there thinking, but how can you as a client be comfortable with that level of negligence? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's understanding, like... We need to expect more from our stylists, right? That education level needs to be higher mm-hmm. to begin with. Mm-hmm. Our patients and our, and our clients need to be, be aware that that quality needs to step up as well. Yeah. Call it out, yeah. but let's, let's also be constructive when mm-hmm. we're calling it out. Yeah, you can say, oh, I'm never going to that place. Oh, it was gross. Or you can talk to the pe- people yeah. that you went to and say, I was a little concerned about this. Mm-hmm. That made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. If they don't further change, yeah, that's not great. But if they're willing to take that feedback and grow as a business, fantastic yeah. for the industry. You've just Definitely. stepped up the standards of that styling practice. Definitely. Um, and I think they should also be willing to pay. Just yeah. understand that if you want something that's good, it's not going to be in the pound store. No, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I cheat by twice. Um, because that's the other area as well when I was first looking at wanting to learn more about trichology there's a lot of people that will say they are something and there's a lot of people that will tell you they can teach you something and and it's just like oh okay so you have to do due diligence and really really do your research in order to find and what's the differences what do you do what do you not do what is this what is that because again I think it's definitely important for people to pay what someone is worth because of just the level of of investments that they've put into themselves and the quality. I think it's not so much, oh, because they paid this for that. No, it's not that. It's just my time, the value I'm giving you and what I'm saving you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sometimes it can even work to the opposite extent. I had a couple of patients who said, oh, I wasn't sure about coming to see you because you're just so reasonably priced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we price it at the, you know, by not being abusive to our patients. Yeah. Basically, being able to sleep at night, you know, and the time that we would otherwise make yeah. if, if it wasn't spent one-on-one with you. Other people will may inflate that price, may not. But I think what if you do your research and you're comfortable with that person, you have to feel comfortable because mm. ultimately... I'm going to probably ask in that consultation quite personal questions. I want you to be honest but with me. But that's the nature of what we do. And I always tell that to my clients. And you know, I always tell people, look, it's invasive because your hair is a reflection of what's going on inside. Yeah. So we have to ask. You have to ask those questions. Yeah. And if you're not willing and not comfortable enough to be honest, yeah. you're not going to get the most out of the consultation. You might come away with possibly the wrong diagnosis because... Yeah not all information has been disclosed. Yeah. So you really have to, like, comfort is probably my primary thing, mm. you know. Be willing to invest, mm-hmm. because you know what? People have invested in their education they're going to be giving you, yeah. they're going to be offering up to you. Um, but make it sustainable, you know. And so that's why you invest in the beginning, Yeah. so that you're not paying out your pocket constantly later on. That's it. Thank you so much for for today, Eleanor. This has been, it's been so much fun and we've enjoyed having you on the programme. Thank you for having me. 
what would you like our listeners to take on board? It, it, we've talked about a lot of things. It's <laughs> a lot of information. Yeah. What's the one thing you'd really, really want them to remember from today? Our moment of grace, as we call it. Moment of... Oh, gosh, I'm moving, put me on the spot here. Our moment of grace. <laughs> um, you know what? Not even from a psychology perspective, but just from a general like information absorption perspective, take everything with a new pinch of salt and consider who is telling you the information and does it really apply to me if it's anecdotal? I think so many conditions, and like we're talking about avoidable conditions, mm. um, needn't be coming through my door if people just considered a little bit more about who was giving that information and why they were giving it. So I think, pinch of salt, when you, <laughs> when you next watch that YouTube video or you, you rate that Instagram um, photo and consider um, what health really means to you in terms of investment. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And on that note, listeners, we'll catch you in the next episode. So it's a goodbye from me and a goodbye from Eleanor. Goodbye.